Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Samuel Likkonen, Digital Medicines Director at Orion Corporation. Orion Pharma is a globally operating Finnish pharmaceutical company with core therapy areas of neurological disorders, oncology, and respiratory diseases. And I just love their tagline, a builder of well-being. Today, I speak with Clara Compass, managing partner and co-founder at Asabis Partners. Asabis is a venture fund based in Barcelona, Spain, investing in healthcare and life sciences innovation. But before we dive in, when I first started coming to Barcelona exploring the digital health ecosystem, Asabis Partners kept coming up as one of the most respected and founder-friendly funds here in Spain. They're investors in the digital health brands that most of you probably heard of, such as Coa Health, Amelia Virtual Care, CaraCare, and Sidekick, to name just a few. I briefly met Clara at one of the Barcelona Health Hub events years ago. She's a very knowledgeable, sharp, and straight-to-the-point individual. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Clara. Clara, welcome to the DTX podcast. Was looking forward to this particular episode to get a view from a venture capitalist on the digital therapeutic space and from our side of the pond, meaning Europe. And I know we're actually sitting somewhere in the same city, I believe. So for all of our guests, would love a little bit of your intro, your background, how you got to investing, and then separately, one interesting fun fact about you. Thank you, Eugene. It's a pleasure to be here and happy to speak with you. So first, I'm a pharmacist by training. I have a scientific career, so I was a scientist for several years. Somehow, I still consider myself a scientist. So I did my PhD and my postdoc in molecular biology of cancer, different types of cancer. And then I jumped into the biotech industry as a project manager, doing my postdoc, having my scientific career, and expecting to have a position in a hospital just to combine molecular biology for diagnostics and patient day by day and do some research. But you know how things work, particularly in South Europe, in some of these aspects. So the position did not came. So I was receiving a call. The application is not open. It will be six months later and then six months later more. So from my PhD, there were some patents on new molecules to treat the concrete type of leukemia. The company that had in license those patents kept on calling me. You have to come and work with us. You need to go with us to the European Regulatory Agency to defend the project. You would be a great project leader for that or great project manager. So the third time the call for my position at the hospital was postponed, I decided to call the company and say, okay, I'm coming to work with you, but just with one condition. You need to explain me what a project manager is. <laughs> so I jumped there. I enjoy it a lot. So at certain point in my scientific career, the idea whether the phosphorylation in serine 473 or treonine 308 was not any more important to me. I mean, I thought that there was people much more prepared than myself and much more focused to do that. I really wanted to understand and to follow the impact, the application and the transfer of that concrete scientific knowledge into something that was a bit more tangible. So I jumped into the biotech industry, was a project manager for a couple of years. The things went pretty well. I ended up being the CEO of that biotech for a couple of years. Then we had licensed four of the assets to mid-sized pharma in Europe. 
From there, I jumped into the pharma, learned a lot with my colleagues, learned from supply chain, market access, and many other aspects. I did not learn that much in the biotech or, of course, in the scientific career. And at that point, I decided I, after four years in the pharma industry, uh, in parallel mentoring some startups and in the health innovation space, and, and quite an active person in the Barcelona and European ecosystem, I decided I wanted to go back to disruptive science. That's why, together with my business partner, Joseph Feliu, we decided to, to fund a service partners. We had a strong feeling about the convergence of the industry. Hardware, software, classical biotech, gene therapy, and all these things all mixed, understanding that the industry was converging. And then COVID came and COVID accelerated, in my view, this convergence really a lot. Just all players in the same place and interchanging knowledge, interchanging projects and trying to redefine. I think that we are still there, redefine where we are. Fantastic. And, you know, it's interesting as I moved here to Barcelona and even prior traveling here, a lot of the roads when it came to digital health led to the Barcelona Health Hub. That's a lot of the companies, but also Asabis kept coming up. And I know you kind of mentioned a little bit about we very much see the same, the digitech and the biotech are kind of merging together. But maybe you can expand a little bit more on the overarching thesis for Asabis healthcare investments. Maybe just peel the onion one more layer for us. So that was the idea. And again, I think that after investment of our first fund, and we very recently launched our second fund, this hypothesis is becoming a thesis and has been confirmed, right? So we invest in all type of, I would say, therapeutic approaches or in disruptive technologies and products that can substantially change the way patients are managed or patient outcomes. We don't invest in incremental innovation. Our thesis is that incremental innovation will be probably not paid in the future. So once this incremental innovation gets to the market, we do have a question mark on the value that you will be able to capture there. So we just invest in, in highly disruptive innovation with scientific or clinical validations, a nice position into the market. And that means most of the time that the technologies have a therapeutic angle. It does not mean that we don't invest in diagnostics. We do, not a lot, but we do. And we do invest also in digitals that have to do with management of patients, but the impact in the outcome needs to be evident or at least if the company and the science goes well, needs to be evident. Initial hypothesis where it's only incremental, that would not work for us at all because we are venture capital at the end. Agreed. And I'm going to continue down this path, but bring in your background in kind of biotech world. Because when we look at digital therapeutics, and this is a lot of the discussions around different channels, and actually before we even get to some of your portfolio companies, which is super interesting, I do want to get your opinion, view around standalone digital therapies. So if you think about standalone biotech-like pipeline just for digital therapies versus this drug plus concept. And are there any other models that you're tracking or those are two key ones? We do have this question mark and reflections and discussions internally and with our portfolio companies. The question here is whether the market is ready for digital therapeutics as a standalone. In the market, I mean everyone, all the stakeholders and even for M&A and the final users. So I think that uh, our preferred scenario is a company that can combine both. 
thinking about mid-term and long-term. So in long-term, we do believe digital therapeutics will have a space. So we need to start now creating those, moving them into the regulatory authorization, proving concepts. But if you have a company, which is the case of Sidekick and others in our pipeline, that can do also digital therapeutics plus a drug, or why not digital therapeutics plus a medtech, a device, or any other technical approach, so I think a kind of a mixed pipeline. So in biotech, that would be mixing best-in-class with uh, first-in-class. So that would be a comparison for that. And that's exactly what we are doing in some of the companies. Others would not make sense at all because they are only based on digital therapeutics. I'm eager to dive into some of the companies you already mentioned, but I have, I think, one more. And let's talk about the whole financing side since you are an investor. You actually mentioned something interesting earlier. COVID has expedited so many things when it comes to this. Now, there was billions invested in overall digital health. Now, the overall market has changed, but specifically in digital therapeutics, and I'll give you my two cents, kind of landed in there, especially prescription digital therapies. This is a long-term investment for any investor. Let's still call it that six to 10-year pathway from the idea to taking it to market, really into the market. How do you think, on one side, COVID has propelled things, given on the other side, the market now? So maybe just would love to hear your thoughts, how you guys are looking at valuations, investments going into the space, and more specifically into the digital therapeutic space, obviously. Let me go one step back. So one of the question marks here, and we saw hundreds of companies and opportunities, it's quite different when the opportunity or the proposal comes from the technology side or from the health side. The health people or investors, entrepreneurs understand quite well that that's a very highly regulated market. You need your path. And sometimes the regulation is not even there. So the fact that the regulation is not ready does not mean that it will not be a regulation for those technologies, particularly if you really want to have an impact in the patient outcome or in patient decisions or derived. So I think we saw that from the very beginning when we started Asavis. So we were receiving opportunities coming from the tech side, tech entrepreneurs. They were going directly to the users, directly to the patients. They were claiming that they would have no need to go to any regulatory agency or anything similar. But if you want to really create value and impact how differently these patients are will behave, you do have to claim that. And to claim that, you need to go through the regulatory pathway. So I think that health life science investors here can add quite a lot of value. In the other side, I think that the speed of things and the technology approach and market approach that even financials, these companies have an income, which probably sometimes for a biotech company that would be acquired by a corporate before you sell a single box of anything. So I think that the mix of the technology investor-based speed plus the knowledge of the regulatory pathways and regulatory implications of that type of technologies, I think that's the ideal mix for us. So a syndicate combining for us, it's really important. It could help a lot. I'm going to double click on part of the question around valuations and how you guys are looking at this. Again, just everything snapped. And I think what we saw in late 2020 and through 2021 was exorbitant. People, I think, were signing up for crazy valuations just to get cash in. I think it reset itself. But again, specifically for digital therapies, and given the fact what you said, we need to prepare for the market, but is it really ready? So curious on how you look at the valuations today. So I think that COVID also accelerated the perfect storm. 
particularly in the U.S., huge amounts of venture capital money and other types of money eager to get into the space. Money that was not coming from knowledge in life science again. So they wanted to jump in something that sounded like digital and sounded like health. And then a lot of ideas and opportunities there. So when you have lots of money and some ideas with the smart people trying to lead them, uh, you do things like thinking everything will be easy, just going, moving forward, putting everything together, and here we are, right? And in six months, we'll do an IPO. I think that that's part of the current rating, if you want to name it that way, comes from a correction. And probably some people not happy to hear me saying that, but I fully think that part of it is correction. In Europe, that was not that extreme, and particularly not in medtech and biotech, which at the end of the day, again, to me, gives a signal that the digital space in health was somehow driven by the technology trends at that time. So a kind of a bubble, if you want, that was accelerated by COVID. So I think that we need to go back to fundamentals. There are financial fundamentals, operational fundamentals, outcome, patient output fundamentals, and valuation should be based specifically on that. You might have a very promising company, but if it's not scalable enough, if the talent is not there yet, if the traction of the market is not there yet, or the clinical validation, valuation should be revised. I'm not saying that would not be a good company. It's just that the valuation needs to be according to the fundamentals. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Clara Compass, managing partner and co-founder of Sabis Partners. So let's get to your portfolio companies, at least the ones that I know, there might be more in the digital therapeutic broader space. And we've had the pleasure of Hammond Pam Stahl on from Sidekick in the previous episodes. So Sidekick is a great company that, you know, we really try to help there when I was still at a big pharma company. I think to me, I look at Sidekick, started with life sciences, expanding the offering in US with health plans and others looking at COA Health without knowing too much detail, but again, focused on mental health. Yes, started here in Europe, has their eyes on US as well in the employer market. You got Amelia Care, which I had the pleasure of being part of for a bit and helping through it. Very much a different market, started again in Europe, focused on there, but very much of a long tail therapist augmentation, let's call it that way. So very different thesis. I think that's the plural of thesis, if I'm not mistaken. I'm curious what the decision points were at a high level and how does it all come together into your thesis? So let's spend a few minutes on each one and if there's others in the portfolio that you want to mention. There's another one, which is Caracare in Berlin. Then there are others, but the others are really a mix of hardware and software, so we can leave the other ones. So for these four, Sidekick, Coa Health, Amelia, and Caracare, as you really say, faces are pretty different. In one side, that was done intentionally. The digital health space was quite new. The idea we had, strong feeling, was that it needed to be strong in scalability and value creation. So the need of the market or the commercial aspects were fundamental. On the other side, we wanted a therapeutic angle. So we were not investing in, I don't know, any type of digital health to improve how data within a hospital is managed or things like that. We really wanted to have an impact in the outcome. So exactly as you said, we have Caracare with this digital app prescription now about to be approved in the DIGA in Germany, in the DIGA market. 
So that's one particular approach. It's not a single indication, but it's a quite limited amount of indications that had to do with diseases and syndromes of the gut. So gastrointestinal disorders, I would say, such as colitis ulcerosa and many other things. In this case, therapeutic angle, nutritionist impact, artificial intelligence to measure different things and to do a personalized approach to each patient, which sometimes gets into diagnostic and sometimes gets into advice. And a prescription. And prescription. So marketing related to doctors and in Europe. First, European focus taking advantage of the data that was really new when we were doing that. On the other side, you have sidekick, which is management of chronic or polychronic patients, multiple indications, highly scalable across indications, across type of patients and across market. But again, that means much more intensive in terms of cash and with business models that might go beyond what is pure interest of pharma, which probably will be the case of Caracare and much more indication-directed companies. So in these two sides, our lesson learned is that first, scalability is a must. So you really need to make sure that the technology per se, it's highly scalable. And then that the commercial efforts you have to do, or your partners have to do for scalability in terms of number of final users, it's also a must. So these are like I would say two premises that we would put there. At the end of the day, as industry matures, it might just happen that some of these companies that will be combined. I'm not talking about Psychic and Caracare concretely, but that would make sense. Not for Psychic, adding platforms to their technology, which is multi-layer, all indication would make sense. So a way of growing would be also to, why not, incorporate technologies, companies, approaches that fit the psychic technology and model, but that can give you even insights on top of the single indications and multiple indication approaches that psychic is developed. And for those, both Caracare and Psychic, you have basically some stakeholders, pharma, which highly interested in Caracare. We call it the round together with JJDC. In Psychic has just signed agreements with uh, Pfizer, Lily and AstraZeneca, among others. And then you have, for example, Caracare working with Sanofi in a concrete drug plus digital product some months ago back in January. So I think that this works. And then the other stakeholders for those two companies are absolutely payers with different approaches because Psyche here has an approach to enter into the U.S. market while Caracare is jumping into the U.S., but also deploying some of the efforts for the TICA. So I think that the difference between the two is the indication approach, much more open versus much more concrete and in-depth knowledge of the indications. I would argue to say Sidekick is while generating content and programs, and they're more of a platform across versus a set of sub-indications for gut health. Absolutely. So the question again here is, would Sidekick be able to plug and play additional technologies and approaches? And then probably the answer is yes. Uh, the company needs to be ready for that in the future if we want to scale up beyond our own capabilities. In another different scenario, we have Amelia and Coa. As you were saying, Eugene, and you know that Coa is, is much more directed. It's a different thing. It's much more prevention, management and treatment, but in a different setting. So exclusively mental health, different types of mental health, and a much more preventive approach. So management of these users, I would say, to make sure they don't get to a medical stage. 
and, and at the end of the day, that could have been directed to patients, doctors, whatever, but at the end of the day, that's employment. And I think that's a different approach. There is a huge unmet need there, but that's exploratory. The question is whether the market is ready. Our feeling is, yes, it's getting ready. And again, COVID accelerated this type of things too, not only in life sciences and healthcare, also in this type of approaches. And then for Amelia, it's a mix. We saw that in other companies, a mix of digital and a device, and that's for a particular need. So here, psychotherapists were not using technology. At a certain point, that the business is very clear. The approach with patients is very clear, but uh, there was no technology available for psychotherapists. You went to the psychotherapist, you explained many things to them, but you don't have a kind of a um, paper or a diagnostic at the end of each session telling you, well, you are improving, now you are facing your phobias much better, or the mindfulness session worked well today. These approaches, which at the end of the day is virtual reality plus monitoring of the body reaction of the patient, that gives tools to patients and to psychotherapists to follow on, to keep on tracking how the patient is evolving and to create an impact and accelerate the outcome at the end. We're trying to cover in different nets. And at a certain point, as you were saying, being an investor, we were diversifying, which is a must. So digital was really new. What we had clear is that we wanted to have an impact in the outcome. So changing things and for two reasons, that's our spirit. And second, that's exactly what we believe creates value and can be paid in the future as technology. But on the other side, we wanted to diversify just to make sure that we were covering the different aspects that could consolidate or not then. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the Chief Medical Officer and General Manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Clara. My question for you is, a lot of your companies are European and are now seeking the United States for market expansion. But in your opinion, what does it take for a digital therapeutic company to scale in Europe? Thank you, Tanda, for the question. That's a very interesting one. So yes, our companies are moving into the US. Some of them already landed there. For Sidekick, we do have already a C-suite team there doing hard work and really working well. Others are just landing more in a commercial aspect, such as Amelia, Caracare, or Coa. And I think that's important. And it's important because the payer model is really different. So Europe, everything is more or less based on the public health systems. And you have private, of course, but the entrance is a bit different, while in the US things move much more quicker. So I think that's in one side. For payers, Sidepeak has an agreement with Elevance, former Anthem, and that's a nice way to check and to move the market into that sense. Things are going pretty well in that aspect. In the other side, in Europe, markets are evolving, not as quick, but you have the DIGA initiative by the German government. There were some question marks when DIGA started. Would it last? It's just the initiative of a few politicians. And when politicians change, then things will be not maintained. It seems it's maintained. It seems it's working well. Doctors are interested. If there was a global interview, including Germany, but also the US and other markets, asking doctors if they were aiming to use digital tools or digital therapeutics in the future, and more than 40% answered, yes, definitely, and eager to do that. 
which is quite impressive and a change from two years ago, pre-COVID particularly. So now with Diga, France trying to put together something similar and others like Spain just trying to create some lobbies to make sure that we are there to do things. I think that the European market should evolve hands-on of the others. Yeah, and I'm going to hop in here. People ask me what's really happening here in Spain on digital health. And my answer actually has been typically, I have no idea because we're a US-focused business. We just happen to live here in Barcelona and back and forth. So I'm going to look at you guys then to keep me posted on the digital therapeutic development here in Spain. We talked about prescription digital therapeutics, and I'm curious on your thinking, Clara, around how pharma companies are looking at this and engaging with it. I think that payers will have a lot to say there. I think that one of the major sectors and segments that will really include this technology in their day-by-day will be payers. For pharmacists, again, it depends on every territory. And there's one aspect in pharma that I think is key and somehow is leading the urgency of the pharma to make sure that they have their internal teams ready and everything ready to jump into the digital. Because from our companies, we've been working with pharma and most of the time, the feedback we receive is we don't know how to do it, right? Sometimes you need a driver. That's a very personal opinion. But uh, in my opinion, the driver that is really pushing pharmas to jump into digital is the value-based payment. So I think that there is something there that is clear for everyone is that value-based payment has started to stay, starting in the UK, being adapted probably pretty soon by payers in the US, and then being extended to other territories. So when pharma realizes that it's not about selling a box or a device or whatever, but it's about showing a result and showing a result that is maintained in time for an outcome of a patient, it becomes clear to everyone that that needs to be monitored and that any tool, companion or any other type of tool that helps the pharma to monitor and to improve the outcome of that drug, intervention, device, whatever, is something that will really I think that's the key entrance. That's why I was saying at the very beginning that a mix of companion plus digital therapeutics on its own, in my view, it's a nice way to enter the market. There's a lot of clinical knowledge surrounding the patient, surrounding the disease when it comes to digital therapies and adoption of that. But we also know there's not enough clinical staff there today. I'm curious how you and your companies, and I know some of them do already have like health coaching. And this is a very selfish question that I do ask most of the guests on here. So I'm curious how you guys look at this as a augmented, as we call here at Your Coach, non-clinical psychotherapy surrounding digital therapy. So I think that's a key part of most of these technologies and some of our companies. It does have a regulatory impact. So coaching plus giving instructions is different. So making medical decisions is a bit different. But everything that engages the patient to feel supported, understood in a personalized way, even digital coaches are really working well in highly gamed companies like Sidekick. But in Caracare, the nutritionists and the advisors are probably one of the most important things that the community of Caracare has. So definitely it's key. 
Fantastic. So we always ask a question here on this podcast on what advice would you give? And given the fact that you work with the brightest entrepreneurs, would love to hear your advice to the entrepreneurs that are maybe just getting on the journey of building a digital therapeutic. What would you tell them to do today? Two things. First, don't forget about regulatory and clinical outcomes. Even if you have the smartest display of the world, you need to show that it has a clinical impact somehow and that it will have a regulatory. And in the other side, just don't forget your dream. I think that's a general for entrepreneurs, right? So if you strongly believe that after Companion or in parallel to Companion, you need and want to develop a prescription digital therapeutics on their own, go for it. The market might not be ready, but it will be, and you need to get yourself ready to be there when the market is ready. So I think that being realistic and ensuring the scalability, but not forgetting the dream and why they are there. Speaking of dreams, this is always my last question. We started with you and would like to end this with you. And what gets you up in the morning from your dreams? You will hear that from me in other interviews and places. I really want to live a better world. I think that we do have to have an impact. It does not only depend on us as individuals, but every piece that we do does have an impact. I have a six-year-old daughter. So I think that uh, from climate change to education to technology and health, we have a mandate, which is to make sure that when we are not there anymore or we cannot have impact, we have done something to make this world a little better. And I think that we owe that to the people to come. And it's good not to forget that. Love it. Perfect note to end on. Clara, thank you very much for making the time. Thank you for the interview. It was a pleasure. Had fun. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.